Hello, and welcome to the AgriFood Safety Produce Bites podcast, where we discuss all things produce safety and dive into the rules and regulations surrounding the Food Safety Modernization Act Produce Safety Rule. Hi, I'm Landon Tiedel, and I am a produce safety technician located out of Marquette County Conservation District, and I focus most of my time on providing on-farm technical service to produce growers, fruit and vegetable growers in the Upper Peninsula on their on-farm food safety practices. Hi, I'm Les Morquin. I'm a professor in the Department of Food Science and Human Nutrition at Michigan State. My appointment is split between extension and research, and I have worked uh, for the last uh, 25 years or so as a food safety specialist, working pretty much from all the way from primary production on the farm all the way through consumption, but have worked a great deal with the apple industry and the, the apple cider industry in particular since I started at MSU. So today we're going to be talking about the apple industry and cider production, on-farm cider production, and uh, potential food safety risks that come with this industry. So I guess I want to start off by asking you, Les, why is this a concern? Why why would food safety be something that we would want to focus on in on-farm cider production? The the cider industry has uh, a very long history, um, particularly in, in states like Michigan and others that have a lot of apple production. But we have learned over the years that there are some uh, significant food safety risks that can be associated with this product if it's not made uh, appropriately, if you don't follow good practices. Um, the, the main concern with these products is potential contamination with pathogens and particularly pathogenic E. coli. When pathogenic E. coli, such as 0157H7, are present, it is a rare event, but it's a very significant event that that can cause severe illness and and death for individuals um, who are exposed to it. So the prevalence of actually finding pathogens in this product is quite low, but it, it does happen with enough frequency that we do still see some outbreaks associated with it. Yeah. Well, so you, I mean, we were talking about finding these pathogens and I, I'm wondering if this would be a good time to talk about harvesting from the tree or harvesting ground apples and what kind of difference that makes in terms of the likelihood of having a problem in your cider. Actually, from a regulatory standpoint now, it's actually not legal to manufacture unpasteurized or untreated cider using uh, apples that have fallen to the ground, or what we call windfalls, or some people call grounders. That was not the case in, you know, up until the late 90s when we were starting to see a larger number of outbreaks linked to these products. And um, it's probably quite likely that many of the outbreaks that we have seen over the years uh, associated with uh, apple cider that's not been pasteurized has really been a consequence of contamination coming in with the fruit. So if you think about this, if you're collecting apples off the orchard floor, you're also probably picking up other types of contamination. 
And depending on how you harvest those apples and how you collect them, you, you may be collecting a lot of potential contamination that could end up directly in the, uh, the apples as they come into the processing facility and potentially end up in the juice. Uh, fortunately, we've seen a lot less or, or a lot fewer outbreaks uh, associated with, with unpasteurized apple cider in recent years, and I think that's really largely attributable to good practices that have been put in place at the farm and, and the harvesting levels and making sure that the processors are following good practices and hygiene once it's uh, the products in the facilities. So from the standpoint of making cider, if, if you want to manufacture cider um, these days, you have to use basically tree-picked fruit, and it needs to be handled in a way that uh, minimizes the potential for contamination before it goes under processing. Yeah, so I think that this might be a good time to clarify that we've been saying cider and what we what we mean is sweet cider, so not hard cider. Um, yep, so we're, we're not talking about the cider that has been fermented to contain alcohol. Um, and I think that this is also a good point to sort of introduce the produce safety rule because Les has been talking about good practices, good handling practices from the manufacturing side, um, from the from good manufacturing practices, but uh, on-farm food safety practices are also just important. And so the, the introduction of the uh, federal minimum standards for the growing, harvesting, packing, and holding of fresh produce, known as the produce safety rule, um, sets forth a lot of these standards to be used on farm. And so that's, you know, good worker hygiene uh, and and health, so not picking while you're sick. Uh, and that's good harvesting practices. Um, so washing your hands, using clean containers, uh, holding the sides of your ladders instead of the rungs so you're not uh, you're not coming into cross-contamination with whatever is on the bottom of your shoes, touching the part of the ladder where your hands are touching, um, and then storing them in a place that's where they're not going to be contaminated too. Um, and I guess even beyond that too, um, and maybe less, you could talk about this too, how important it, important is calling out the the maybe less than perfect apples before either when it reaches is, reaches the processing plant or before it reaches the processing plant? Sure. Um, there's a couple of reasons why culling uh, damaged or, or rotten or, or other types of damaged fruit prior to processing is really important. Uh, one of those reasons is that damage is a point of entry for potential pathogens. So these microorganisms can potentially get into the fruit and potentially proliferate under the right conditions. From the standpoint of the, the cider industry, probably the, the more common issue that we see as a consequence of rot or damaged fruit going into processing is, is that a situation with the presence of a mycotoxin called patulin, which is produced by uh, a fungus or a few different types of fungi that can actually grow on apples. And these fungi, um, primarily the one that we're worried about is Penicillium expansum. It's the specific fungus that kind of grows as a bluish gray mold on apples that, that many people have probably seen and not realized what it was. 
but that that mold can actually produce a mycotoxin that that can have toxicity against humans uh, as the mold grows on the fruit. It can it can actually be very aggressive also and from the standpoint of how fast that mold can penetrate into an apple, um, and the the fungus is kind of opportunistic. It will um, be able to invade and, and grow quite quickly and damaged fruit. So if you have apples that have, uh, say, impact damage from dropping them into a bin or, or uh, you know, bashing them against each other, that's a point of entry for these uh, fungi to take hold and, and be able to start proliferating. Uh, that's actually a, a significant challenge for the industry, making sure that they're managing that appropriately and and making sure that they're culling out rotten or damaged fruit before it goes into, into pressing for cider. I think this is a really good point to bring up, too, that a lot of people I know, and I think a general sort of assumption with cider making, um, especially small scale, sort of like down on the farm cider making is, you know, just throw in any any old apple because you're making it into juice or cider. So it doesn't matter the quality of the apple before you press it. Um, and that's just simply not true. Yeah, not at all. I mean, we, we want to make sure that anyone who's, you know, kind of going into this business, if they're entering it for the first time, that they're very cognizant of the fact that you can mess this up very quickly if you don't have good practices. Yeah, and there's, um, you know, so what the produce safety rule is to, to fresh produce farmers, there's also a, a there's a federal regulation f- for cider makers too, isn't there, Les, the, the juice HACCP? Right, so whether or not a cider maker is going to be subject to that rule really depends, and, and the main thing it depends on is whether or not they're actually wholesaling any product or if they are custom processing any product. So under the federal juice asset regulation, if a cider maker is manufacturing on their own farm and selling from their own farm market, they can actually take what we call a retail exemption. So if they're not wholesaling any product to other uh, entities like they're not selling uh, cider through uh, retail outlets that they don't own. They can actually operate as a retail establishment, just like uh, a small independent grocery store or a restaurant would be regulated in the U.S. Michigan, for those processors who are exempt under this this rule, also have Michigan cider GMPs that they need to comply with, and those are available from the Michigan Department of Ag and Rural Development on their website. The trigger for cider makers to actually end up under federal regulation is if they have any wholesale contracts or if they do any custom processing in any quantity. And if, if they engage in those activities and they're subject to the FDA juice asset regulation and they're actually required uh, not only to comply with the regulation, which is uh, fairly detailed, but they're also required to uh, use a process that would achieve what we call a five log reduction in pathogens of concern. Yeah, so I guess what I'm hearing is really just basically if a, if a cider maker is is any larger than, you know, for example, a, a farm stand selling 
homemade fresh cider that would typically be raw. These these rules and regulations are likely to apply to them. Right. I, we, we had done a lot of survey research with the industry years ago, and I think on average, you know, the majority of the cider makers in the state of Michigan were producing less than 10,000 gallons a year, uh, and many of them were considerably smaller than that. So it, it's likely not going to make sense for them to invest in a lot of expensive technology to, you know, to be able to wholesale or operate under, you know, in accordance with FDA regulation. I think it becomes more practical if you're a larger processor that has scale. There's there's a couple other points, I guess, I, I would also like to mention just to pick up. Uh, first on one thing that you had mentioned, you had talked about fermentation, and that that's actually a very interesting case in that um, fermenting apple cider to make hard cider is actually extremely effective at both destroying pathogens and also uh, destroying patulin. So um, in the case of hard cider, actually, it's, it's not a product that is any more subject to the FDA juice acid regulation. It's, it's regulated differently. But the process of fermentation in and of itself is also quite effective at, at destroying the pathogens and, and mitigating any concerns about the, the mycotoxin that we talked about earlier. So it, it's, I, I wouldn't say that that's something you can do to forgive all problems with a potentially bad batch of cider, but that is a viable option sometimes for um, cider makers who have a contaminated batch, They're, they can legally divert that product into making vinegar or other types of fermented products. Uh, again, that's something they'd want to do in consultation with the regulatory authorities, but it's an option and, and it does work. Yeah, and who doesn't love a hard cider? So it's a win-win situation there. You know, it's, it's another thing that I guess I forgot to mention earlier is that um, by its very nature, apple cider tends to have a pretty acidic pH. So actually, most pathogens, or really all of the pathogens that we're concerned about, actually don't grow very well at all at that pH. It's too acidic for them. But they do survive uh, reasonably well at that, at that pH, and they can survive for several weeks. So... That's the reason why uh, when we talk about preventing contamination when the fruit's harvested and how it's handled and things like that, that becomes really critical. It's not that the pathogens are actually growing in the product once it's made. It's They've been brought in during the process and they can persist there. Absolutely. And it's it's so hard to wash a pathogen off a piece of produce once it's, it, once it's on there. And so preventing that contamination in the first place is really the entire premise behind the produce safety rule. And it, it's just so important at producing a safe product. One other thing I just wanted to mention, and we get questions about this oftentimes uh, this time of the year, now that we're in cider season, is um, you will occasionally see unpasteurized apple cider sitting out at room temperature in retail displays. And I guess my comment on that is I don't think it's a great practice because it, it, is really hard on the shelf life of the product. Uh, and you sometimes see products sitting out at room temperature and it'll actually start bubbling. You'll see that occasionally that's actually the fermentation beginning. So it becomes a shelf life problem for the product, but technically it's not illegal. Um, because of the pH of apple cider, it's actually uh, a product that uh, according to the food code, does not legally have to be held under refrigeration. 
but I guess my recommendation would be when possible, they, it, that should be done. It should be held under refrigeration because it really becomes a, a shelf life issue for the product. It'll start fermenting quite quickly. So, yeah, so I guess a, a little piece of advice that I, I'm hearing when you're saying this is if you if you are at the, a retail establishment and you see this, grab some cider out of the cooler and not off of the table. So, you know, it's fall, which is typically the visiting time that farms experience. This is a the, the huge uh, the boom time for agritourism and inviting people out on onto farms and, you know, doing the corn mazes and seeing the apple cider being pressed and picking your own pumpkin and things like that. Um, and agritourism is a great thing. It, it can be very profitable for farms and when done well, I think it's a, I think it can be a huge success. Uh, potential food safety risks that, could occur with inviting uh, people who are not workers or people uh, intimate with your farm practices onto your farm um, is that um, they they just don't know what is uh, what is off limits versus what is available to them, and so farms that that practice in inviting people onto their farms, I think it's really important to have really good, effective, clear. Uh, signage. And so if if you only want your customers at your farm stand, making sure that they are, uh, they are aware that this is the place where they are welcome, uh, but the entering the apple orchards is not a place for them. Um, and the reason for that is that the more people you have interacting with your produce or with your fields or with things that touch your produce, any food contact services, the more risk there is for contamination. Um, and so having good visitor signage and, uh, also having employees, you're either yourself as a farm owner or, or employees of the farm present, um, to sort of, uh, you know, herd these tourists around to the appropriate places and not to making sure that there's no wanderers, um, going places they shouldn't be touching things they shouldn't be uh sneezing on things they should not be sneezing on things like that um so just trying to control any possible contamination from from this influx of people on your farm one other thing i would mention um just along the ag tourism angle is that a lot of these uh these uh, producers will also have other things for their customers to do when they visit the cider mills. So if, particularly if they have things like petting zoos or something like that, where, where people are interacting with animals, I would really reinforce that they have hand-washing facilities available because there have been a number of outbreaks actually associated with close contact with animals, uh, particularly people who, um, you know, grew up in the city, may not have had those types of exposures previously. And we've, we've had several outbreaks just leaked to petting zoos, uh, kind of associated with ag tourism. So something else to think about. Yes. Thank you so much for bringing that up. And yeah, I, I would actually recommend, so a bathroom is required for farm visitors to have access to. That is actually something that a farm is, is required to provide, um, 
if a petting zoo is also present, I would really recommend having a hand washing station, a, a portable hand washing station right there next to the petting zoo, in addition to a hand washing station with the bathrooms, just to make it even easier. Because the easier it is to wash their hands, the more likely it is that they'll do it. Links to anything referenced in this episode are provided in our show notes, which can be accessed on the website at canr.msu.edu slash agrifood underscore safety. Thank you to everyone for listening, and don't forget to tune in next month for another episode of our Produce Bites podcast. <laughs>